This is KMTT. The week begins with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavoy, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavoy. One slim volume of Chuvos, Maznayim Limishpat, was written by Rav Zalman Saratskin. Rav Saratskin was born in White Russia in 1881 into a family of great Rabbanim. As a young man, he went to learn in the famous yeshivas of Slabodka and Valozhin, where his name became very well known. And Rav Lazar Gordon of Tells, the Rosh Hashiva of Tells, was interested in having him as the chassan, uh, as his chassan. He then went to Tells, and after continuing his learning a few years, he went to Tells, which had to be, the yeshiva had to be reestablished after a disaster in the town, and he rebuilt Tells and showed great ability in building yeshivas. He continued in various communities in Lithuania and White Russia, and eventually he came to the town of Lutsk, where he was known as one of the Gdole Yisrael. He became very involved in communal affairs, was the leader of the Aguda, until the time when, because of uh, war conditions, he went to Vilna, and he became associated with Reb Chaim Eiser. Reb Chaim Eiser appointed Rev Zalman Surutskin to be the organizer of the, all the various yeshivos and bachurim that came to, to, that came to Vilna in that time to set up a system of yeshivas. Eventually, after many uh, different trials and tribulations, Rav Zaman Saraskin arrived in Eretz Israel. Here, he founded an organization called the Vadha Yeshivos, which apparently was somewhat patterned after what he tried to do in Vilna, building a central organization to help yeshivas, to build yeshivas. He was very active in the Chinuch Atzmoy and became the, a member of Moetzik Doliatora and eventually became the head of Moetzik Doliatora. He's famous in the world not only for his communal activities, but he wrote various svarim. The Sefer on Chumash that he wrote called Aznaim Torah is well known and quoted by many Darshanim. He wrote a, in general a book on Drush called Hadeya Vadibur. Posthumously, a Sefer on the Haggadah was published called Shir Vashevach. But we are today are going to deal with the volume of Chuvas that we've mentioned is called Maznaim and the Mishpat. If you see that the book in Chumash is called Oznaim Latar and this is called Maznaim, he liked the idea that the Maznaim Limishpat, Maznaim Latar, included in it the letters of his name, Zalman. He was Nifter in 1966 in Eretz Yisrael. He left a family of Gedole Torah. Some of them moved to Cleveland and became very much involved of, in the yeshiva of Tells in Cleveland. One of them, Rabbi Baruch Saratskin, was at one point the Rosh Hashiva of Tells, 
I actually heard one or two shiurim from him when he was traveling around the United States. We'll discuss a few of the tshuvas in, in, in Maznaim and the Mishpat. Some of them will reflect the times and some of them will just be various tshuvas. In the first volume, in the first chedek, the two chalakim of Maznaim and the Mishpat, the first Rav, Rav Sarotskin himself uh, put together. The second one was put together and published posthumously. The, uh, there are other many tshuvas that are still, to the best of my knowledge, not yet printed. The reason I chose this first tshuva in Maznaim the Mishpat is because just recently I was involved in this particular question and I had to give an answer without knowing at that time this particular tshuva of Rav Zalman Sarotskin. The question was about a community that did not have a very strong uh, presence at the daily minyanim. One day there were only nine people in shul. They waited for a tenth, but he just didn't come. So they began to daven. And they hoped that eventually when they get to, Kaddish, to Baruch Hu, to Kaddish, they could have a minyan. But it didn't happen. After Shemona Esrei, after each person davened Shemona Esrei, then the tenth person came. In such a case, is there a concept of Chazor HaShatz? The idea, of course, of saying Chazor HaShatz would be to say Kedusha. In Eretz Yisrael, the question would be also to have etc. etc. Now, uh, Reb Zalman Surutskin first, uh, of course, quotes the Chilukim, the Dinim of what you need a minion for, what you don't need a, a minion for. But he proves from Rishonim and Megillah and the Gemara and Davchav Gimel and from the Rishonim there that today we do Chazar Sashatz, even though there's no actual, no reason for Chazar Sashatz today because we're all Bucky and Davening. The original concept of Chazar Sashatz was to be Motsi, the people that didn't know how to daven. Since we do know how to daven today, what's the point of Chazar Sashatz? And the answer must be because of Kedusha. So therefore, it's an independent obligation to say Chazar Sashatz, and therefore he felt, even if there was no minion at the time when they said Tefillah Belachash, there was no problem saying uh, Chazar Sashatz. However, he quotes a, radva, a Radvaz that seems to disagree. The Radvaz says, once you daven bichidus, and he uses the phrase, Parach Minayu Kadishu Kedusha. The obligation of Kadishu Kedusha was removed, vanished. And he, he quotes a similar example by Birchas Hamazon. Let's say the people who really were Chayv and Azimun, each one benched, and afterwards they got together again. They can't say Birchas Hazimun. He says the same thing is true here today. And the Radvas also quotes that this was the custom of his time. Rav Saratskin said, I, I really don't understand the comparison at all between Birchas Hamazon and Tfila. Birchas Hamazon, once you benched, you can't bench again. And if you did bench again, it would be a Brachel Vatala. The idea of Zimun is to get together to, to say Birchas Hazimun. Here, the problem is to get together for, for Chazar Hashatz, to say Kedusha. Why do you say in that Parach? It, it disappeared. He quotes an Aruch HaShulchan that already asked this question. He says he doesn't understand the comparison. There is a Chassam Sofer quoted here in the Sefer who tries to explain the comparison to Birchas Hamazon, 
Nevertheless, Rav Sarotskin finds it's a very difficult comparison. And he says that it seems pretty obvious that you can continue and say Chazaras Hashatz. He also points out there might be a distinction if you, if you would accept the the idea of the Radvaz, that would be if 10 people davened, maybe you could argue, and since the 10 people davened, they have no obligation of Kedusha anymore. But here, there is a 10th person that came, and he did not daven already. So why can't there be a Tfilas Hatzibur at this point, which would be engendered perhaps by this particular person? Maybe, in fact, he should be the Baal Tfila. But the this argument would only be if you accept the Radvaz. And even in that case, in our case, where the 10th person hadn't yet davened, for sure you could say Chazar Sashatz. But it seems to me, says Rav, Rav, says the Rav Saratskin, that you can certainly daven, say Chazar Sashatz, even if the person came earlier, they all said Shemun without the Tzibur. Nevertheless, you can do Chazar Sashatz now. And then, Rav Saratskin added an interesting comment. In a tshuva which was written in 1952, he says, I, I dis- discussed this tshuva at length because unfortunately I know that in our generation, the people who come to shul to daven with a minion, is going, the numbers are going down. If sometimes the people that come to shul won't find a minion once or twice, I'm afraid that they also won't come. And this way, the minion will be completely canceled. Therefore, I thought that this tshuva should be written. Now, he did not write the tshuva to find a heter to do this because of this reason. He felt that mitzar adin, you could say chazar sashatz, even though there was no minion when they said shmon Nevertheless, he added this additional point that in our generation we should try to do everything in our power to enable people to continue coming to Minyan. Another tshuva that was written in a much earlier date was written in just before Sukkot in Tafresh Ayin Hay. Almost 100 years ago, 95 years ago. And the tshuva was written in, in a town I'm not familiar with called Zittel. It could be one of the towns where Rav Sarutskin was a rough. And there the question was, and it's a reflection of the times, people who lived in the communities around there simply could not get Abaminim. Because of the conditions that were prevalent at that time, seems to have been wartime. It was very expensive. So how much do you really have to spend to fulfill a mitzvah? The Ramah in Arachayim paskind clearly someone who doesn't have an Esrog or any other mitzvah, even if it's a mitzvah overis. A mitzvah overis means a mitzvah that cannot be postponed. Either you do it now or you won't do it. So the, the Ramah paskind, even for a mitzvah overis, like an Esrog, you don't have to spend so much. And it says that you should not spend more than 20%, even for a mitzvah of Eris. Now, 
Rav Sarutskin deals at length with the question of is it really true that this idea of not spending or overspending for a mitzvah more than a certain percentage applies even to a mitzvah of Eris. Now, the Ramah Paskin that way, but he brings a whole discussion whether and how do we know that this applies to a mitzvah of Eris. Then he quotes a famous story that Rabbi Gamliel bought an esrog of, for a thousand zuz. Now, Tosus brought this raya and said, you, and the Gemara said, you see how Chaviva is a mitzvah Yisrael. So it seems that Rabbi Gamliel did this as an extraordinary step. Otherwise, the Gemara wouldn't compliment him so much. If a person did, did what he's obviously obligated to do, what would be considered such a great compliment? Therefore, it seems that for a mitzvah of Eres, you don't really have to spend so much money. Now, one could really question, how rich was Rabbi Gamliel? How much money did he have? Rabbi Gamliel was Nasi Yisrael. He obviously had, uh, I would assume, at least more than 10,000 zuz. So, maybe he would have had to spend that much money. And there would be a whole discussion of, if this is true, that you might have to spend more money than we thought. And why would the Rebbe Gamliel really be so complimented? Rav Sarotskin suggests an interesting concept. Ulai, maybe we'll say that really the Ezra was available. Somebody would have bought it, and somebody would have allowed other people to use it. We know that Rabbi Gamliel, for example, gave his Esrog for the use for other Amoraim of the Tanoim of the time. So why would, why would Rabbi Gamliel have to buy it? Somebody else could buy it. In fact, perhaps he spent more, maybe there was an auction, and he spent a lot of money. So Rabbi Suratskin argues that from this story, there's no real proof. Maybe Rabbi Gamliel Alpidin did not have to buy it because it would have been used anyway. Somebody would have gotten an Esrug. So in, if that's true, the Gemari says, we'll compliment Rabbi Gamliel that he wanted to show Chavivah's HaMitzvah and therefore he spent a thousand Zuz. And then Rabbi Sarotsky goes on to quote a number of other sources and basically, at the end, he says that the bottom line is that we we pass them like the the uh, opinion of the of the uh, Rama, and it might depend how much money you have, but you do not have to spend that much money for a mitzvah of Eris. It reminds me that one time I saw a person that I knew was not so wealthy. And he spent a, a great amount of money on an esrog, and actually he bought more than one esrog, because he was choshesh from certain shitos. When I sort of chided him about this, I said, Alpidin, is it right to spend so much money? He said, look, if I went to the movies or I went to a show, would you get upset with me that I spent too much of my money? Because a person can spend money on other things besides absolute obligations and consider it part of hobbies, part of whatever he feels is his entertainment. So he says, for me, my hobby is to buy an extra mitzvah, to spend more money to, for the hidur of the mitzvah. So perhaps, Alpidin, you're not mechuyav, but I did it because of chivu mitzvah. That apparently could be derived from the story of Rabbi Gamliel as well. 
as I said, the Rabbi Gamliel was complimented on the fact that he spent a lot of money for the mitzvah. It seems from there that you're actually not, obligate, not obligated to spend so much money. One of the questions that Rabbi Rab Saratskin dealt with is something that in the yeshiva world today is rather well known from another sefer called Afike Yam. And this tshuva was written in Tafresh Tzadifav to the author of Afike Yam, Rav Yechiel Mechorabinovich, who was a Rav in Europe, wrote a sefer called Afike Yam. And he mentioned there a discussion that when you perform a wedding, the Masada Kedushin makes a bracha, but he doesn't drink it at all. How can he drink it? He, he himself doesn't drink it at all. A barpia gefen is a birchas hananin. A birchas hananin, you have to have enough from to make the bracha. You can't be mozi somebody in birchas hananin unless you, you yourself partake of the food or drink with that you made a bracha on. And Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Novich in Nafike Yam quotes a, a Pnei Yoshua that raised this question. And he said, the Pnei Yoshua said, maybe it's like a Birchas HaMitzvah. Rabbi, Rabbi Novich, Nafike Yam, said that this is a very difficult svara. And he mentioned there, and this is perhaps why it's very famous, he mentioned there that Reb Chaim had a custom of making sure that he would spill a little bit of the wine on his hand. And therefore, he would give the coast to the chasen kal to drink, but he would then lick off some of the wine from, from the, his fingers to make the bragefen uh, for himself that he drank the wine. The Rav Maznayim Lemishvat points out that the Beis Yosef asked a similar question about bris mila. We know that the Yoledes is Yotze with the brach of the Mohel, and he asked the same question. You don't have to have a kos at all. It's a birchas hananin. So why could the Mohel make the bracha for the Yoledes? Now, it's true that the Mohel could drink and does drink, but let's say on fast days, on Asar Bateves, where the, uh, the, the, the Mohel doesn't drink, so the custom is to give it to the Yoledes. So he made a burpia geffen, and the Moel drinks, how can it be? So the Beis Yosef has raised this question, and the, the, he says, since it's a kos shelchova, since our custom is that at a bris we have a cup of wine, it becomes like a kos chova, and therefore it becomes like a birchas hamitzvah. Now, the kos mila was not at all mentioned in the Gemara or in the Rambam. But Tosfus and the Rambam did bring a custom to have a, a kos shalbracha by birchas ha'erusin. So therefore, if you could say this by birchas ha'barbagevin at a bris, for sure you could say it at the bracha of ha'erusin that you really don't have to drink. drink. It becomes a kos chova, and you could give it to the chasen kala. The Ran was asked the question, and the person who asked the question suggested to him that since the bracha was made specifically for one person, then you can make a bracha for the person who really must drink the wine. So 
The Ran then diff- argued about a bris if that's true, but the uh, basic idea he agreed with. Rav Saratskin a- adds another argument. Since the Bari Pragefen here is made in order to say Shira, so therefore it's like a Birchas Hanoah, Hanoah's Hanashama, that you can say Shira. And he says he quotes that svar from a base mayor, and he says, I like it. Since the halacha said that the mevarech has to drink from the wine because otherwise it's an, a, embarrassing for the coast, a gnai will So it seems that if not for that reason, you don't have to drink at all. The idea is to have the bracha so you can say shira. So therefore he feels that it's okay not to drink. He also quotes a stechemed who really asked the question. Let's say all our arguments are correct. Still, why does the Masada Kedushan make the bracha at all? And it seems that it's an ancient minig, an old minig that the person who is the Masada Kedushan doesn't drink. Why shouldn't he drink? Rav Saratzin came up with a very novel idea. He said because in early times the chuppah was outside. Today we have the chuppah outside too. The chuppah is actually berachov. And very often the rabbi who is Masada Kedushan is the rav of the city. He says it wouldn't be proper for him to drink the wine. Because ein it's not proper for a Tamil Chacham to eat or drink in the public market. So he claims that might be the reason that they really didn't, didn't drink the cows because they didn't want to drink in public. In fact, in an addition to this tshuva, which is printed in the Hakudama Tamaslaim Limishbat, the Rav Saratskin pointed out that when he, once he started attending weddings of Svardim, he saw that the Masada Kedushin at a Svardi wedding did drink. And he thought perhaps the reason was because the Svardim did not have the custom of having the chuppah outside. So inside, he felt there was nothing wrong. The Svardim made the chuppah inside. And therefore the Rav drank from the, from the coast. But in the Ashkenazi weddings, where the custom originally was to have the weddings outside, so... Maybe they felt it wasn't proper. And he quotes that the briskerav, the, the, what the Afrika Yam said, that Reb Simchazelik, the dying of Risk, told him that Reb Chaim used to drink from his wine when he spilled it on his hand. Perhaps he did it on purpose, that people should notice that he drank. He also mentions that Reb Chaim's son, Reb Velvel, told Rav Sarutskin personally that he never heard of this custom of his father's drinking from the coast. He never saw his father do it. The bottom line is that the Rav Sarutskin brings a, a famous discussion that some people do not have to, some people can rely on the custom that you do not have to drink from the coast of Bracha it could be considered a, a kos shel mitzvah, kos shel chova, kos shel hanoah, one of the above, or all three of the above, and the rabbi who's Mesele Kedushin does not have to drink from this kos. Perhaps the most famous tshuva in the entire Sefer Maznaim in the Mishpat is one of the last tshuvas in the first chilek of Maznaim in the Mishpat. This tshuva was written 
And I think the date is very important here. It was written in 1941 to a person who was involved in the education in Tel Aviv. And the question was asked about teaching Torah to women. Rav Sarutskin, first of all, approves of the letter that was written to him. And he said, to learn Torah Shebichtav obviously is important, so much more so in our generation. Even Torah Shabbat, he felt we have to discuss in our generation whether it's important. And he quotes his own Sefer, Deva Dibur, who says that in Torah Shabbat, women certainly should learn at least the Maskana, because today, in today's world, where many people do not have homes that they can paskin based on their experiences at home, It's important for them to learn, important to educate women in our generation. The Rav Zerutskin, of course, quotes the educational policy of Beis Yaakov with great approval, and he also has a lengthy discussion to show that in a certain sense, we should put more effort into the education of women than we should in the education of men. And he quotes historical precedents from Avram Avinu. In fact, when God told Moshe, we pointed out that Beis Yaakov is the women, B'nai Yisrael men. Women took precedence in Limudat Torah over men. And he discusses the idea of the role of the women, woman in Torah, the role of the men. Rav Surutskin there said, I'm therefore shocked by certain people who are charedim l'dvar Hashem, who don't care at all about the education of their daughters, and they only are interested in the education of their children. They will send their daughters to schools, to general schools, to public schools. Uh, today, we could discuss, I don't know uh, what Rav Sarutsky would think, I'm only you know raising a, a theoretical possibility that he's talking about going to colleges where uh, many, for many of the Haredi world thought that to send a boy to college was wrong, to send a girl to college is certainly permissible. But Rav uh, Surutskin pointed out very much that in our generation, obviously we should teach women Torah. And he points out, not only is it mutter to teach Torah and Yerushalayim to our daughters, but it's a chiyuv gamo yeshpazeh. And therefore, it's important to have women's education in our generation. Uh, this tshuva, of course, has been quoted in many of, many of the books that di- di- discuss the idea of learning Torah in our generation. Another tshuva that in one hand would seem to reflect our, the times, another reflect almost a different time, in the second volume of the of the Maznaim uh, and the Mishpat, Rav, uh, Rav Saratskin relates to a person who wrote to him in Tafresh Tzadi Hay, 1935, when Rav Saratskin was in Lutsk. And the person who wrote the 
letter to Rav Saravskin was a great Tamit Chacham. I personally had never heard of him, Rav Shmuel David Levine, who wrote a sefer called Lashad Hashamen, but uh, Rav Saravskin respects him and appreciated very much the argument that he wrote. What Rav Levine said, the issue he raised, was why do we not attempt to reenact this smicha today and to build the Sanhedrin? And he quoted a source, of course, a very famous discussion in the Rambam, that having a Sanhedrin should precede the Geula, and therefore not having a Sanhedrin would actually hold back the Geula. So why don't we do it? This question raised in 1935 would be interesting by itself. Of course, later on in the State of Israel, when Rav Maimon, the first Saradatot, minister of religion in Medinat Yisrael, raised the issue and actually wrote a, a book about it, where he propagated building a Sanhedrin, then the issue took on a new historic issue. The uh, note of Rav Sarotskin in the bottom of the tshuva was, of course, I wrote this tshuva 30 years ago. And this is also written quite a few years ago, but <coughs> 30 years ago, and that means in 1935, Rav Sarotskin wrote the tshuva, but he said now it's clear to all Gedolei Israel that appointing a, 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 a Sanhedrin will certainly not bring the Geula closer, but it will actually postpone or delay the coming of the Geula, and therefore we should not even discuss the issue. But in this tshuva, written much earlier, he did discuss the issue, and he really raised the question, will not having a Sanhedrin deter, impede the coming of Mashiach? He points out that Eliyahu will not come, according to the Gemara, one Arab Shabbos, Arab Yantif. So, he asks a very famous question. How could Mashiach come without the Sanhedrin? Without the necessary requirements. Now, I once quoted in the name of, I heard it in the name of Reb Chaim, that he was asked, how can you be required to believe in the coming of Mashiach? B'chol Yom Shayavo, any day that he comes. If the Gemara says clearly that Mashiach will not come on certain days, how can we ever say B'chol Yom Shayavo when we know there are certain days Mashiach will not come? I heard in the name of Reb Chaim that his answer was, it's a really, really good kasha. And when Mashiach comes, I'm sure he'll answer that kasha too. In the meantime, we have to believe, Basically, this would be part of the argument of Rav Saratskin here. Today, he felt that it would not be possible to have a Sanhedrin. And I said he wrote this much earlier, before Rav Maimon's proposal really became famous. And he said, look, there was a, a machlokas between the Radvaz, the Malbach, we, who, who argued with the Rambam. Even the Rambam wasn't so sure about it. Today, how could we ever have people that agree on a, on a, on a Sanhedrin? 
Do you really think it's possible? In today's generation, appointing a Sanhedrin, Rav Sarotskin felt would not be mekarev the Gula, but actually would deter the coming of the Gula. Therefore, he was opposed to the concept of a Sanhedrin. As I said, once Medinat Yisrael was established, this really became a certain cause celebra in the world, and Rav Maimon was in uh, was very instrumental in suggesting such an idea, and of course it led to a big controversy where the issue was forgotten. Today also, there seems to be some group that is interested in the having a Sanhedrin. It's very, very unlikely that there'll be public support that Klai Yisrael would support such an idea.